Our reading this morning is from the book of Matthew. This is our third uh, week in Matthew chapter 13, chapter filled with parables. We're in a short series looking at the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus has to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. And today we look uh, at Matthew chapter 13, reading from verse 44. It's page 980 in your pew Bibles, Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, which he found, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. So you may remember the time of the financial crisis in 2008. There was for a time a run on the banks. I'd never heard that phrase until 2008. And people began to believe that the money that they had in the Bank of Scotland or the TSB or whatever bank they used was no longer safe. And so they went to their local bank and they stood in a big long queue so that they could lift out of the bank as much money as they were allowed to do so. And I remember the, um, the News 24 channel would, would just have a correspondent standing in the queue interviewing people as they went along. And then there was someone interviewed who had never in his life used a bank. And I remember how smug that man was. I don't remember the words that he used exactly, but basically he said, I told you so, but no one listened. Never trust the banks. I've never trusted the banks. I've always kept my money safe with me in the house. You should be like me. You should stash your money uh, under the mattress or under the floorboards or somewhere safe in the house. Well, imagine now that you lived 2,000 years ago and there are no banks, uh, nor are there floorboards or mattresses or safes or mortise locks or alarms. I could go on. None of these things. What do you do with your savings? Where do you put your savings to keep them safe and secure? 
Well, 2,000 years ago, not many people had enough money to save. For most people, the money came in and it went out to buy their daily bread. But there was a small minority of people that were able to save money. And what most of them would do would be put their money into a box or a case or a chest, if you will, and go somewhere secluded out of the way and dig a hole in the ground and put your money, put your savings, put your treasure in that hole in the ground and take care not to tell anyone so that they don't steal it. That's all well and good, unless you forget where you've put it. Or until the time that you die, and then your money, your treasure, is still there in its box under the ground. And there are stories of that period of time, about 2,000 years ago, where there would be these boxes in the grounds and they would be discovered by someone quite by accident. So someone was poor and they're digging or they're working the land. They discover this treasure and suddenly they go from poverty to great wealth, from poverty to riches. And that sets the scene for the story that Jesus tells in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So presumably this man is working in a field that he doesn't own, and while he is digging a hole or plowing the field, he comes across a chest or a box of some description. You can imagine the spade clinking against the box. He digs round it, he unearths it, and he opens it up, and to his amazement, it is filled with treasure. And this treasure is so valuable that he is happy to give up all that he has, all that he owns, in order to get it. There are riches in the kingdom of heaven that are so precious, so valuable, so great that we ought to be able and willing and happy to let all of our other riches go in order to gain that, to gain the kingdom of heaven, to get this treasure. The man in the parable recognized the value of that which he had found. And in his joy, that's an important phrase, he's not reluctant, he's not compelled, he's not forced, he doesn't have his arm put behind his back. In his joy, he sells all that he has to buy the fields and to gain the riches. The fact that we can belong to the kingdom of heaven, that its treasure can be ours, should fill us with joy and should free us to let go of all of the other stuff in order to pick up that true treasure. Not all respond to these riches 
in that way, though. Think of the rich, young ruler. He had so much going for him. He was successful. He was wealthy. He was respected. Uh, He was an upright member of the community. He had uh, religiosity. He had morality. He had money. He had all of these things. And when he is presented with a list of the commandments by Jesus, he is able to say, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. There is just one thing that he lacks, according to Jesus. The Lord tells him to sell all he has, to give to the poor, and to follow him. In his joy, the rich young ruler sold all he had, gave to the poor, and followed Jesus. Is that how the story ends? No. Mark tells us, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. In the original manuscripts, there's no punctuation at all. And I wonder if there were punctuation, if Mark, when he was writing that phrase, uh, because he had great wealth, I wonder if he would have put inverted commas around great wealth. Because it's not that great, is it? Compared to the riches of knowing Christ Jesus. Compared to the riches of knowing God as Father. Compared to the riches of knowing eternal life. Compared to the riches of the kingdom of heaven. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had so-called great wealth. He's asking about eternal life, about the kingdom of heaven. And he says no to all of that because he wants to hold on to his money. How great was that wealth? Was it greater than eternal life? Was it greater than the kingdom of heaven? Was it greater than life lived with the Lord? Where is that man's great wealth now? long gone, but the riches of the kingdom of heaven are still there, still shining brightly, still precious. Jim Elliott, the uh, missionary to a people group in Ecuador, the husband of Elizabeth Elliott, he said, "He's he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he was willing to lose his life to be found faithful in the service of Christ. I wonder if there is something that you wouldn't give if Jesus asked you, is there something in your life that you are determined to cling on to, no matter what it prevents you from gaining? Is there an idol in your life that needs to be laid down and let go to free you to follow Jesus and to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal? 
Are you willing to give all that you have and actually all that you are for the riches that Christ offers? Would you count the riches of this world as nothing compared to that which Jesus has for you? These riches are eternal. They can never perish, spoil, or fade. The riches of the world are fleeting. They are momentary. They are here for a moment and gone for an eternity. And consider, consider the cost of these riches. Jesus became poor in love that we might become rich. The Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Financially rich? No, not necessarily rich in the kingdom of heaven, rich in spiritual blessings, rich in your relationship with God the Father through Jesus His Son, rich in all eternity. And so now we move on to the second of the three parables that we read today, verses 45 and 46. Again, says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. So this is a man that is always on the move, always looking for more and for better, for more pearls, for better pearls, for more value, for better deals. He is we might say, a dissatisfied man, always on the move, always looking, never finding the perfect peril, until one day he does. And when he sees that peril, he is happy to sell all that he has, to give it all away, all of those perils that he'd collected for so many years, all of the money that he had earned, to give it all away in order to gain that one perfect peril. I was sharing my testimony uh, yesterday at the Dawson Mission. I was asked to share my testimony with a wee challenge at the end. And uh, it struck me as I was sharing that story of my life, that all of our stories, all of our testimonies uh, uh, as believers are very, very different and yet very, very similar. So the way that we come to Jesus is very, very different. Some of us came to faith in a meeting or at a special service, and we remember it vividly. We know the dates, we know the time, we know the place. Others might remember a period of time, but not really the specifics. And for some of us, it's just like we've always known Jesus. This is the way that we were brought up. We've always heard about Him. We've always sought to live our lives following Him, loving Him, serving Him. Some of us lived before we came to Christ very kind of scandalous lives of, uh, of sins that you wouldn't want to mention from the pulpit in the front of the church. Others had lives that looked very respectable to outsiders. On the surface level, we were very morally upright, very religious as well, perhaps. 
We had all sorts of different ways of coming to Jesus. Our stories are very different, and yet they're very similar. Because though we had different paths to Jesus, we all came to Jesus. We all placed our faith in Jesus. We all acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus. And so we were all saved by Jesus and washed clean by Jesus and welcomed into the family and into the kingdom by Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. The worker in the field found the treasure out of the blue that was presumably just another day in the field, an ordinary day until he struck that box or that chest, and then that ordinary day became the day that changed everything. He's like a man or a woman who's just living their life, who thinks that they are satisfied in their sin, not looking, not searching, not seeking, not asking, and then suddenly they encounter Jesus unexpectedly, and everything changes. But the merchant was looking for bigger and better perils when he eventually found the one that topped all of the others. He's like the person who is asking, who is questioning, who is seeking, who is looking and longing for peace and fulfillment and joy and purpose and meaning and hope. And maybe he finds one thing and for a time it satisfies, but then it doesn't satisfy any longer and he has to move to another thing and another. And he always thinks that peace is just ahead, just around the corner, but he never seems to find it until one day he does. One day he meets with Jesus and all of those different longings are satisfied in Christ. doesn't matter which groups of those that you belong to, but it does matter that you come to Christ. It doesn't matter how you come, what the story is, what the route to Jesus is, but it does matter that you come to Jesus, that you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you are washed clean and welcomed into the family of God, welcomed into the kingdom of heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last parable reminds us of how much that matters. The parable of the net, or some of your translations will say the parable of the dragnet. This parable is, that's, it's verses 47 to 50 if you're looking for it in the Bible. Uh, this parable is similar to the parable of the weeds, and I want you, if you've got your Bibles open, to, to look at the structure here of this text in Matthew 13. So you have the explanation of the parable of the weeds. You'll see in the italicized heading in the NIV just before verse 36. The parable of the weeds explained. And then you have the parable of the hidden treasure and the peril. So they're very similar parables. Someone finds the treasure, sells everything to get it. 
And then lastly, you have the parable of the net, which is very similar to the parable of the weeds. So I hope you can see the pattern there. There are four parables. There's one, then there's two similar ones in the middle, then the last one is similar to the first. It's like A, B, B, A. Or one, two, two, one. Do you see that? It's like a Big Mac. So there is the bun, there are two burgers, and then there's a bun. And that structure isn't called the Big Mac structure, unfortunately. It's called uh, chiasm. That, that one thing, two things that are similar, and then one thing that's similar to the, the first. And when you notice it, you begin to see it all through the Bible. And it can be very helpful to notice and to see, because it can help you to understand and interpret Scripture rightly. So, the last parable is similar to the first, to the parable of the weeds, and it's a reminder of the importance of getting this right. It's a reminder of the stakes. If you uh, make a financial investment and it goes awry, it goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. It might cause you a lot of problems, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, but it's not the end of the world. But when it comes to the riches of the kingdom of heaven, you need to get this right. It is of eternal significance. Once again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. So this is one of these nets. Again, one of some of your translations say dragnet. That's the type of net we're looking at here. It's a net that's got that, that sort of floats to the top, but it's got weights at the bottom. And as it's dragged through the water, it just picks up everything in its path. When it was full, says the Lord, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. So the fishermen sit and sift through the fish, separating the good from the bad. And Jesus again explains he leaves no room for misinterpretation. This, he says, is how it will be, verse 49, at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's what's at stake in relation to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. Leave no doubt as to where your true treasure lies. Live like your treasure is in heaven. Live like your treasure is Jesus. May we be able to say with the Apostle Paul, and I'll finish with this, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Amen. Let's stand.